tonight we are um, kind of f- finishing up this in-between time of series. Uh, so I'm just preaching kind of a, uh, a one-off message, and next week we're going to get into more of a um, extended series on the book of Psalms, which the book of Psalms is a very interesting uh, book. It's uh, a book of songs, if you will, uh, written by different authors, but predominantly written by David. And so it's going to be really interesting for us as we had that big, long series about David and his house and, and, uh, and his legacy and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we're going to then read the words of David. And you're going to see some of it's going to be stuff that you uh, recognize. Like, uh, anybody recognize this? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Anybody know that one? Uh, or there's different uh, things like that that we're going to preach about. We'll see. Uh, but there's other ones where we're going to be, you're going to be like, I've never heard this before, and why is David so angry? And we're going to contemplate uh, what prayer really looks like in our lives. Amen? Uh, but before we do that, we're going to talk about, um, and, and, and tonight's going to be a little bit of like a half teaching, half preaching, but because uh, I'm talking about uh, a man named Job. Everybody say Job. And so in this kind of timeline, right, we've gone through since the beginning. If you've been uh, following along, we've gone Genesis, Exodus, all the way through. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther last week, and now Job. Esther and Job are kind of interesting stories that are just plopped in the middle here. Esther is about, uh, if if you weren't here last week, Esther is about uh, an Israelite woman who becomes queen of Persia and has to make uh, some difficult decisions. And she speaks up for her people and saves her people. Uh, Job is a story about a man who suffers a lot um, while God seems seemingly silent about it. It's tough. My brother actually wrote a book on this uh, book, <laughs> Uh, called Suffering in Silence. It's really good. I've been reading it to kind of help study uh, today. But let's kind of get the story uh, in front of us, and then we're going to uh, dive into some of the themes and, and, uh, and talk about um, some of the things that we could take away from it. Okay? And so if you want to take notes, uh, the kind of uh, teaching and message for tonight is going to be, can God be a good God in an evil world? Can God be a good God in an evil world. Has anybody ever thought that before? Even if it's just kind of quietly to yourself, that if God is really who he says he is, why is there so much evil in the world? Why is there so much suffering? Why do people have to experience pain, right? Um, I've even myself thought this, that, um, and, and it, it makes sense that God can't save everybody from every instance of pain, but also at the same time, you, you, you can't help but wonder what, how did it all go so wrong? <laughs> and then uh, we try to um, live by our own means or we imagine ourselves if our parents were gone for a month and we ran the house by ourselves, we realize how things got so bad because we're involved. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but this story is an extraordinary one, okay? Because it is uh, about a man named Job who technically... Um, 
seems to be outside of the God's chosen people in terms of uh, he doesn't live in Israel. Um, it, it doesn't specifically clarify if he's uh, Israelite or not, but you kind of assume he's not. And he's a man, though God says is righteous and blameless. And this blameless doesn't mean that uh, Job is perfect. It just means that he's uh, more righteous than pretty much everybody else. <laughs> okay, and so I want to keep this in mind as we learn about this story because oftentimes when I've read this story in the past, I've thought, oh, Job is like me. I'm a good person. I try my best. Sometimes bad things happen. But I think the story carries more weight when we realize that Job isn't like any of us. Job's actually better than most of us, better than all of us. He was the most righteous man in the world. Um, he, he, he was a wealthy man. He had lots of livestock and lots of land. He had 10 children. Uh, and the family was great. Like all the, all the kids would get together and they'd eat together. It reminds me of like a Sunday afternoon in the Cox household. You know, they all get together and they eat at Grandma's house. I, I went one time. Grandma Marcia said, come through. I said, all right. But, um... Um, but Job is like a good dude he's a good dad the Bible even says that he, he, he prays for the forgiveness of his own sins but he also prays for the forgiveness of each of his kids sins and he says he actually offers up sacrifices for each of his kids and I don't think this is necessarily saying that he thinks all of his kids are wicked I think it's just a father who really loves his kids and wants to make sure that their, their future is uh, figured out but the interesting thing here is that uh, Job, uh, and we'll find this out, Job has an understanding of God that's a little bit distant, but he, he loves God and he's, and he's righteous and he, and he looks to God and all these things. But he, during this story, he kind of goes from being a good man to a wise man. But how does this happen, right? Um, what happens is it's really interesting. There's this like council of heaven, heavenly beings is what it talks about, which, you know, we're assuming it's, it's uh, angels and such like that. But then in this meeting, uh, the Bible says, uh, it, it describes it as the Satan um, comes to God and it basically, they have this almost wager. It's really weird. But God says to Satan and says, have you considered my servant Job? And they're talking back and forth. And basically the premise of what, the, what Satan is trying to say is that Job doesn't actually love you, God. He only loves you because you've blessed him. He only loves you because you've given him things, right? And we've seen these types of relationships where, where it, it seems, and maybe you have seen these types of friendships that in your own life, where it seems like somebody really loved you, but as soon as you weren't good for them anymore or, good, or, or you weren't providing what they wanted anymore, they let you go. Anybody ever been there? Where, where you thought, oh, I thought I was cool with this person, and then uh, I, I apparently was useless to them after a certain point, and now we're no longer friends. So Satan is telling God, Job may seem righteous, but he doesn't actually love you. He only loves you because you've provided for him what would happen if he didn't have any of the things that he, that he had. And so God says, okay, try it. This is like really unique in the whole Bible. This is a very, if you read the story, it's, it's, it's really, um, it's tough to read because God allows Satan 
to go after Job in this almost test of Job's righteousness, which is this type of scenario is not really found anywhere else in, in the Bible. It's very interesting. And it's hard to get a story out of, or like, what, what are we supposed to learn from it? But we're going we're gonna to get there. Sounds good, everybody? So what happens is uh, God says, okay, Satan, you can uh, do what you wish to Job, except don't kill him. Don't harm him at first. So he says, okay. So Job then, all in the, all in the course of just a few days, hours, whatever, gets news first that all of his livestock is dead or taken or whatever. Which back in that day, your livestock is your, is your wealth. So basically he's told you've lost everything money-wise. Your land is raided. All the animals are gone. All your, all, all your crops are gone, burned to the ground. Everything's gone. And he's like, I'm never going to financially recover from this. You know, if you've seen that meme. Okay, anyways. Uh, so he realizes everything's gone. He's like frustrated as anybody. Can you imagine if uh, you guys are at home, your mom or dad gets news that they, the bank account is at zero. They've lost everything. The house is gone. The cars are gone. All the food's gone. The dog's gone. The cat can stay because... Satan loves the cat, but uh, just kidding. Um, but can you imagine what your parents would be thinking? It's like, what? And if this wasn't bad enough, later on, there comes another messenger. All 10 of your kids are dead. They tell Job. The Bible says Job tears his clothes, which is like back then it was like a symbol of, of, of grief when you just, Tear your clothes. I don't know why, but they're into that kind of thing. Um, but he tears his clothes and he weeps and, and he's just distraught. He's obviously, and he's grieving and he's lost all of his wealth and all of his children, which are another form of wealth back in that day. He's lost everything. And so then we're reading this story like... <laughs> what is going on and if you put yourself in Job's shoes like if it was me I would be furious with God I would I don't know that I would hold it together like Job did and this is when we realize that we're not as good as Job because most of us if that happened to us if we lost everything we had and everyone we loved we'd have a really hard time believing in God still if we're being honest if we lost everything like why would I worship on a Sunday morning? Why would I worship on a Wednesday night and say, God, you are good? He's not been good to me. I've lost everything. So we realize Job is much better than we are because in verse or chapter 1, verse 21, it says, He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whoa. He's lost everything, and you know what his response is? Is I started with nothing. And I'll go to the grave with nothing. God gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a crazy response. That's a crazy response. Even Job's wife tells him, curse God and die, she says. 
Which, when we read this story, we're like, wow, okay, she's a little much, you know, <laughs> you know maybe she's a, she's a Karen for sure, you know. Uh, but if you really think about it, she's a, she, Job isn't the only one suffering. When it comes to losing all of your wealth and all of your children, she's in the same exact boat as Job is. And she sees Job suffering, and she's thinking, as he's thinking, Man, it, it might be better if you just, you know? Like, it, it would be better to die than to live in this moment. We're introduced to, like, deep, deep depression in this moment. Because Job later on, in uh, chapter 2, or chapter 3, rather, he goes on this, like, lamenting session praying to God and says, basically, I wish I was never born. He basically says, curse the day that I was born. And in this time, it's very interesting. Most, like not all children would, would make it through the childhood phases, right? Because it was like a rough time. And so if you were born, that was like a big, big deal. And then if you made it to like age 10, that was a big deal because there was a lot of things that could happen in between then. Sickness, uh, you know, you're out in the, the field and a coyote gets to you. Whatever, you know, it's, it's just like crazy times. And so Job is basically saying, why did you let me live when all the other kids died if you were just going to take everything from me? So we see Job went from praising God to then also being like, well, this sucks. So now we're like, okay, Job is maybe a little bit more like us. And in this time, that's when his wife says, curse God and die. And he says, I won't do it. I won't curse God. Another crazy, incredible response. Now, the interesting thing that my brother wrote in his book that was good to understand was that this story isn't about Job being better than all of us and, like, standing up stronger than all of us. That's not what the story is about because Job is actually rocked to his core. This, this, this story is about the most righteous man on earth doubting God, which should bring us comfort. Because if the most righteous man who's lo- who loves God the most on earth doubted God, then all the times that we've doubted God, it makes sense. But then we have this like interesting secondary story, which is actually kind of the, the meat and potatoes of the book. Uh, it's like 20-some chapters long of just Job and his friends going back and forth. And this is another point that my brother made in his book that I was, I was kind of caught off guard by, but it's really good. Most of the time when you read the stories, because Job's friends come in and they say, well, maybe you've just started sinning recently and you've got some like, un, like things that you're not telling everybody and God's punishing you for it and you should work that out. And then they start like making up stuff about Job being unrighteous and being wicked and all this kind of stuff. And there's no reason that you would uh, suffer unless you were wicked and evil, Job. And so they start like pointing fingers at him. But at the very beginning... Most people skip over. What happens is they, they come to Job's house when they hear of all this suffering. They come to Job's house. They sit with him in silence for a week. So they see that Job is suffering. They sit with him. They don't say anything. They just sit with him in his grief for a week. That actually sounds like some pretty good friends, right? Doesn't it? And so the scariest thing about this story with Job and his friends is not that Job's friends hated him. The scariest thing about this story is that Job's friends loved him and still made him out to be wicked by the end of it.
Which is not to scare you and say all your friends are bad. <laughs> but what it is to say is that nothing is promised in terms of human relationship. We give it everything we have. We'd be the best friends that we could possibly be. We love people so much. But if our, if our whole, you've seen people like this, that their whole like, identity is based on their friend group or their whole identity is based on a relationship with a boy or a girl, a relationship with someone else. And if that fails, they crumble. What has to happen here, like what happens with Job, is that the greatest relationship we have is with God. And if everything else fails, it's okay. If you lose everything, it's okay. How could it possibly be okay? doesn't make sense. So, we're going to talk about suffering uh, and two different perspectives on suffering. Is that okay? And suffering in our lives looks a lot of, like a lot of different ways. There's some folks that we've seen suffer greatly. They've lost uh, parents. They've lost children. I think some, one of the, the, the worst ways to suffer uh, anybody could go through is losing a child. I think, uh, uh, well, we've all seen uh, maybe friends who are, have walked through um, uh, different diseases and sickness, and um, even one of our friends here went through uh, cancer and uh, kicked it in the face. And uh, but there's immense suffering that some of us don't understand. Um, there's uh, families who uh, can't afford to put food on the table, and so they're, 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 the parents are starving while they're fighting to uh, uh, keep the lights on and, and, and provide food for their kids and. And if they can eat once a day, man, that's really good. Like, there's suffering that we don't understand. But then there's also suffering that we experience every day where um, we have uh, heartbreak and we have people, rejection, and we have uh, uh, parents who maybe are, um, uh, and this isn't everybody's story, obviously, but maybe there's a, a kid or two in the room that have parents that are sometimes verbally abusive or physically abusive. or Everybody has a different level of suffering they experience, Right? And there's, there's small suffering, there's big suffering. I've talked about this. There's the suffering of waiting, which is really a low-level suffering. There's the suffering of losing someone you love dearly and everything in between. And how do we deal with that? How do we walk through that? How do we walk with someone through that? Does that make sense, everybody? And so we're going to talk about suffering from two different perspectives. The first one is suffering in the first-person perspective. Now, here's the thing. All of us are going to suffer. The Bible doesn't ever say that life is going to be good and without suffering. The, life set, the Bible says we will have a life that is abundant because of who Jesus is, right? And so here's, here's the, the, the reality of it, is that life with Jesus on the cross, even if I'm joining him on the cross, is better than life off the cross without him. Being in the boat with Jesus in the storm is better than being on the shore without Jesus. So the abundant life is Jesus. The abundant life is, is, is the hope. Because, listen, some of you have been there and you've, you've seen this transformation. I had someone uh, uh, text me and ask me about uh, a question they had about, um, like, transformative moments. Like a before and after moment in your life. And most of you remember, <clears throat> unless... You were real young when you accepted Christ, but most of you remember the moment you went from death to life, where it felt like there's no real purpose in life except for to do what everybody else is doing and trying to be successful and try to make some money and try to be happy. Without Jesus, the pursuit of life is happiness, which happiness is fleeting. That's a terrible pursuit in life. Right? Because all of you are happy right now. And if I walked up to Caleb and I spit, on, spit in his face, he's not happy anymore. That's a real fragile 
purpose in life. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, this is great. And I like pickpocket Jesus and take 100 bucks out of his pocket. Now he's not happy anymore. His life is worthless because he's not happy anymore, right? If the only purpose for our life is happiness, that's a terrible life to live because happiness comes and goes. But if, 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 if our, our purpose in life is to serve and love Christ and through that we find the joy of the Lord, joy is not fleeting. I can find myself suffering. I can find myself in a storm. I can find myself on the cross with Jesus. And joy is still there. Wow. What a God we serve. So this is how we suffer ourselves. Is knowing that God never promised suffering wasn't going to happen. God promised that he'd get us through it with him. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. But this is the hard part. It's, the Bible says, your rod and staff comfort me. I'll, I'm going to preach a message that I'm supposed to preach in a couple weeks. But what that means is that I'm comforted by when God says, Stop. <laughs> Go that way. And for those of you, some of us have been blessed with good parents, some of us haven't, if we're, and that's okay. But if you were blessed with great parents, you realize what that's saying, that I, I'm actually comforted when my mom or my dad tells me no, because I, even though in the moment it hurts, I know later on, as I look back, if she would have said yes, <laughs> I'd be in a, in a world of trouble. I tried to lie to my mom, like, hey, so there's this party that's going on. It's, like, super low-key, though. We're just watching VeggieTales and, like, um, eating goldfish and stuff. But it's right after prom with all my friends. And, and like, actually, mom, there's no girls going. It's just, like, me and the boys. And it's going to be super chill. Can I go? No. You said, <laughs> I said VeggieTales, mom. I used to pull this all the time. Like my, that, my dad, that was the first question my dad always asked. Uh, are there girls there? <laughs> Probably not. Who knows? You know? I don't know, you know. And in our minds, we know exactly the type of thing we're trying to get ourselves into. And we're trying to just like skirt the line of, okay, well, I've never done that before, and it seems fun, and everyone else is experiencing life. And when I was a kid, I thought like I had to build up my testimony. I had to, bet, I had to have a better testimony. I had to go, from, go through some dirt, you know, so that when I'm like, oh, God, save me from it. No, you know what? Maybe if I could, maybe the testimony is that I didn't have to walk through the dirt because of how my parents raised me and how my parents, do you know what I mean? And so I've had some t hard times, but I haven't had hard times like everybody else or a lot of other people. Why? Because I had godly parents. That's my testimony. And so, like, oh, I'm going to go on a rant. Uh, can I go on a rant? It's like the, it, uh, should I, okay, I'm going to do it. It's like the talk of, like, privilege nowadays, which there is some. If we're being real, there, there's, there's, there's natural privilege that happens um, with culture and just how people are viewed and, and, and things happen, right? I, I probably have, uh, I talked to a friend, I'm less scared in a police interaction than, than some of my friends are, if we're just being real, okay? And not to say that it's not necessarily warranted in the moment, like they're going to be hurt, but there's some privilege. But, but we've, we've demonized privilege so much that it's like there's no incentive to even give your kids a good life anymore, which is crazy, there's no incentive to thank your parents for helping you go to college. 
There's no incentive for thanking your parents or putting food on the table. Because well, these kids don't get that. Okay, but, <laughs> but can we be grateful? Right? For me as a parent, my job is to set up Vince to be successful. Not to, I'm not going to set up Vince to be crippled by wealth. Because I don't think that's healthy either. But I'm going to set up Vince where he doesn't have to suffer his whole life. And each generation is different. I had a better childhood than my dad had. And Vince is going to have a better childhood than I had. And mine was great. And that's okay. Right? So how do we, how do we suffer in the first person? Going back to that, because I've ranted all the way off to left field. We suffer in the first person by knowing it will be well. That message I preached a couple weeks ago. It will be well, no matter what. Amen? How do we suffer in the second person? Here's the thing. So <clears throat> Job's friends came in. They sat with him. They took time uh, to be with him. And this was great. And this was awesome. And then it turned to where they are now picturing in their head that Job is evil. And that's the only reason he could be suffering. And so they actually turned from Job's friends to Job's enemies. Why, how does this happen? I'm going to do this really quick because I'm running out of time. I spent too much time on the other things. <laughs> but it's okay. How does this happen? Suffering in the third person, right? As, as a friend who's going to sit with someone in suffering, what happens is first, let's just sit with them. Let's just sit with our friends as, as, they're going, as they're grieving, as they're crying, as they're going through it. Just sit with them. And not offer advice unless we've prayed about it first. I'm not going to offer anybody any sort of advice that I haven't gone to God first about. Because if any of these friends would have been gone to the Lord and be like, Lord, is he sinful? Is he? And he'd be like, no. People just suffer sometimes. And they'd know, Job, I have no explanation, man, but we're going to sit with you through this, man. And it's tough. None of us can even, like, here's, here's the reality. Some, we always feel like we have to have an answer for someone who's suffering. But if Job came to me and lost everything he had and lost 10 of his kids, I'm not going to tell Job I know what he's feeling. I'm going to tell Job, Job, I have no clue what you're feeling right now. But if it's comforting for me to just be with you, then I'm going to do that. It reminds me of this funny thing. There's this guy, you probably heard of him, Theo Vaughn. He's ridiculous. Do not look him up. Um, <laughs> I, I, thought, I just think, you know, for a long time I thought he was dumb and just like really crude and rude and all this kind of stuff. And it was like, like you know, don't recommend anybody to listen to him or whatever. Because he's a comedian and it's like, it's kind of, you know, off the wall. But there's this story where this guy, Sean Strickland, who's a UFC fighter, he was talking about his childhood, and it was rough. Like, just bad. His, his, his mom getting abused and him trying to figure out how to, how to, how to work through that. And, all, and, and just, uh, there's more to his story. I just, it, it's just a lot. He was going through a lot, and he starts crying. He starts weeping. Like, life was tough, and he's worked through it, and he's just weeping. And, and Theo Vaughn, of all people, tells him, because they're on a podcast, he tells him, bro, we could just sit here and not talk at all if you want. He's like crazy. Danielle and I went through a, a hard time a little while back, and I had a friend, uh, his name is Ben Murdy, not Wallace, but Wallace is a great friend too. Um, but I have this friend, Ben Murdy, who um, when Danielle and I walked through um, the second miscarriage that we had walked through. Ben texted me, and it was a weird text at first, but then it made so much sense to me. He says, hey, do you want to um, go get some food and not talk about it at all? That's what he said. You want to go get some food and not talk about it at all? 
I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. I just want to go get some food and not talk about it. Sometimes that's what we need to do. We don't need to offer solutions all the time unless someone, unless we have a friend who's like the dog who goes back to their vomit over and over and over again. Then we can kind of sweep up the vomit for them. <laughs> Does that make sense? But we don't offer advice unless we go to the Lord. Amen? Okay, so there's that. Um, <clears throat> wisdom and going, to God, and going to God helps us to understand the difference between caused and uncaused suffering. Some suffering we just can't help, right? So here's the two themes, and I'm going to wrap it up here. Um, the two themes that kind of finish up or engulf this story is, one, here's the thing I want everybody to know. Suffering is not relative to circumstance, necessarily. Sometimes it is. If you make a stupid decision, you might have stupid results, <laughs> right? If, if you go and do what everybody else is doing and you go to the party and you go do the things that you're not supposed to be doing, there might be some ramifications that are really, really bad, right? You decide, and this is a big one, and most of you don't have your driver's license, so that's great, but if you decide to, to be intoxicated and drive, there's some real suffering that may happen because you've made a bad choice, okay? So in some ways, suffering can be relative to your circumstance, but in some ways, it's not. When my dad was diagnosed with cancer, we didn't do anything for that to happen. We didn't do anything for that to happen. And so for us to think that people are going through bad stuff because they're bad people is untrue. That's what this story is about. Sometimes good people suffer. And sometimes, oppositely, this is the harder one, sometimes bad people prosper. How do we work, walk through that? But here's the whole thing that it kind of helps us to understand is if suffering isn't necessarily relative to circumstance, then actually our love for God also isn't relative to circumstance. So whether I'm suffering or not, I love God because he's, he's, he's still good. His goodness isn't affected by what's happening in my life. Does that make sense? And here's, here's the greatest thing, is that even in Job's time, there wasn't the hope of the cross, but for us, Tim Keller is one of my favorite pastors of all time, and he passed away a few months ago, and and, and so I've been going through and listening to all his messages that I can. Something that Tim Keller says is if Jesus really died on the cross and he really rose again three days later, everything's going to be okay. You can go through the worst amount of suffering in life and still have the hope of heaven. Still have the hope that, 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 that Jesus has made it all okay. That, that death has no sting. That the veil is torn. That all of it is reversed. That the beauty of the Garden of Eden is once going to be our beauty. That heaven is going to join earth. Everything's going to be okay so I can make it through. That's how we make it through this life and how we suffer with our friends is we could offer that to our friends. Your friends that aren't Christians, there's not really anything to offer them while they're suffering if you don't offer them Christ. My parents are getting divorced. My brother died. My, you know, I saw this video of some kid. He went to his neighbor's ring doorbell and, and, and the neighbor's like, what's going on? And he rings the doorbell and he says, my, my brother shot himself. What do you offer that kid if you can't offer him Jesus, you can't offer him anything. Like, you can't just tell the kid, hey, it's, it's all going to be okay. No, it's not. If there's no hope for the future, if, if, there's, if there's no answer for suffering, if there's no answer for his, his sibling, there's, there's, it's not going to be okay. But if I can look at the kid in the eyes and say, hey, this is going to sound crazy, but Jesus died on the cross. He rose again three days later. So everything's going to be okay. The Bible says death doesn't have a sting anymore. 
I don't know how it's going to be okay, but it's going to be okay. After this life, God tells us in heaven that there's, there's no weeping, there's no sorrow. All the pain's going to be gone. You can tell him, honestly, I don't know how it's going to be that way, but it's, it's going to be okay. This is the gift that you can offer your friends. Is that even Job, the greatest man on earth at that time, <laughs> loses everything. And he still tells his friends, I'm not going to curse God. God is still good. The story ends with Job saying, um, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak, and I will ask, and you will instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing by the ear, but now my eyes see you. Oh, wow, what a powerful line. Job tells God right here, I've heard of you, but now I see you. This, isn't this is after he's lost ten, all 10 of his children and all of his wealth. He, and, and his friends are, are, are fighting him. And, and, and the devil actually, after he loses everything, he's sick. He becomes sick. He has these sores on his body. And he, and he wants, and he's, so much so the Bible says that he, he got like a knife and he's scraping his skin off because it hurts so bad. Job sits then with God and says, I heard about you before, but now I've seen you. And you're good. What? That's crazy. But you know what? You know, the only reason he could say that is because he actually saw God. He actually knew who he was. The story ends with God restoring Job with his wealth and, and many more children. And it says he's restored two times of what he had before. So that's another hope of the Father. But how do you walk through suffering when times are tough? And you look to the Lord. And know that if he died on the cross and he rose again, everything's going to be okay. How do you get through suffering with your friend? Sit with them. Grieve with them. Cry with them. Don't offer advice that you haven't asked God about. And when you offer that advice, like be gentle and prayerful and all that kind of stuff. But then the most of all, the thing that you can offer them is, is, is the hope of Christ. That if he died on the cross and he rose again three days later, everything's going to be okay. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for stories like this that are hard to contemplate. Uh, but when we do, Lord, we find you in them. And so like Job, God, let our, let, we, we ask that, God, we wouldn't just hear about you. God, we wouldn't just know about you, but God, we would see you. God, we would know you more. We would have intimacy with you, God, that in the, in the, in the, in the quiet moments where we're lost and we're all alone and, 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 it, and the walls seem to be closing in, that there's a comfort that comes from you because of our relationship with you. So God, let us not be uh, the type of Christians who just uh, learn about you and, and spend time with friends who know you, but God, let us be the type of Christians that are longing for your presence, God, that long to know you. And we can look uh, like Job does at you and say, God, I don't just hear you, but I see you now. So we give you praise and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.